must be you. Your mic. That's me. You're up. Good morning, Lydia House. Uh, I don't need one. I want you to know how we got the word fall. I came out this morning, and I think God said last night, fall. And many leaves fell. I had uh, cleaned I them up a couple days ago, and there are more here today. So that's how we got the word fall. It's beautiful, isn't it? Look at the trees. How many colors can you see on the trees? My, oh, my. Karen's got a brother coming from Florida, and he's looking forward to seeing the leaves change. I hope they're not gone, because he's going to come about Thursday. Do you think we'll have leaves left on Thursday? Okay, we'll have some. We thank you, Father, for the beauty of creation. We thank you even more for the beauty of recreation. When you take us and you do a makeover, when we come to know Jesus and then you make us like Jesus, little by little, progressively, and do it again this morning as we talk about revival, what you've done in the past and what you, we expect you we fully expect you to do in our day, in our season. Do it again, God. So we're singing a song that says, Revive Us Again. And that's what we're praying for, that God will touch us and revive us. Oh God, we praise thee, O oh God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise thee. Spirit of light who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah. 
And again, and again, and again, and again. Thank you, Father. Inside. I know it's chilly, so some folks are going to choose to worship inside, which I encourage because it is cold. Um, and there's some of you joining us from home. Good morning to you, too, or good night, or whatever it is. Uh, we're good, glad to have you with us. There are masks on the table there if you don't have one. There's also some activity bags by the back table here for kiddos if they need something to do. And there's lyric sheets that you probably got. There's also a stapled uh, sheet of some scripture verses that you can grab. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. And if you do go inside because it's chilly, uh, please put a mask on. Remember to stay uh, social distance from each other. And CJ, if I could get you to come out here for just a minute. Um, one of the things that we need before we get inside, and winter is coming, and so inside is going to be inevitable. Um, one of the things we, I would like to have is a greeter, somebody to be at the front or door when people walk in, who can say, hey, welcome. Please put on a mask and fill out a name tag. Name tags are great when we're all masked up because it's harder to tell who people are sometimes especially for new folks. And so looking for someone to help uh, with the mask name tag thing when people walk in. So if you'd like to help with that, uh, please talk to me and let me know. So we've been honoring tech team, worship team people uh, the last few weeks. And the Bible talks about giving honor where honor is due, um, especially to those parts of the body that maybe aren't as seen and not as visible as others. And CJ Luck here is probably the biggest servant in the church. I think very few of us would disagree with that. Um, he, not only is he on the leadership team, but he, he puts in so many hours here almost every week. You guys really have no idea how much time he puts in with tech team stuff, with leadership stuff. Um, it's just tons and tons and tons of time. The church would have a very hard time operating without CJ is the reality of it. He is the the servant on whose shoulders a lot of this stuff gets done. And, and we, he doesn't even wear a jacket. And he doesn't even wear a jacket. What and he, he doesn't complain. He's always coming up with new ideas of how he can spend even more time um, to make things better and improve things. So I wanted to honor you, CJ. So please give a big hero, yeah. a hero clap for CJ. Hey. And he has more keys than anyone. I mean, he, he's all set up. And especially when we're outside here because of the way tech works, he's back there a lot of the time, so we don't even see him. So thank you for coming out of the cave uh, to let us honor you, CJ. Appreciate everything you do, bro. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, CJ, and everybody else who helps us out here. Um, I'd like to take a few minutes to pray for our leaders, to pray for the leaders in our city, in our yeah. state, in our country. Um, so let's take a few minutes to pray, and I want to hand the mic out to people who would like to pray. Uh, so let's just take a few minutes for that. Recovering. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have sent healing power into his body. We pray that you would continue, Lord, to heal him in Jesus' name. So he's completely and 100% healed in Jesus' name. We thank you for that so much, Lord. We just give you the praise and the glory. We thank you, Lord, that uh, President Trump is um, having... Uh, the the very uh, drug he took, the, the Regeneron, the uh, Tamiflu-like drug for the coronavirus, he's making that available to hospitals, Lord, so that we can have a, a really great treatment for, for this virus. And I would just like to say, virus, die in the name of Jesus. Die, die, die in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up all those, Lord, who are in authority over us. We pray for them, Lord, that they would come to the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would know him in the depths of their being in Jesus' name. We pray for this coming election, Lord. We pray that as people, especially your people, Lord, as your people vote, they would vote the Bible, Lord, that they would vote for life, that they would vote for the family, Lord. That they would vote for your world without end. Amen. Amen. We thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we know that many of your people are being convicted uh, in these last months, especially uh, regarding Second Chronicles, the verse we've been hearing for so long. And, uh, I just ask, Lord, uh, that you'd convict more and more Christians to actually vote. It's been brought out that many Christians are not even voting in the United States of America. Convict them of this, Lord, to get out there and vote for the leaders, for the ones that you want to be leaders in this country to affect the country and the world for good. To couple it with the revival that's coming, that's already happening. Put it on our hearts, Lord. Continue the work you're doing. Stir it up in the Christians. Send them out to do the right thing. In Jesus' name. We prayed it at the beginning when we, we were saying, revive us again, and that is our prayer. God, we need a move of your Holy Spirit, a powerful move of your Holy Spirit, not only in the church. We need it in the church, but we need it in the world. And we think of times in the past when that has happened, when you stirred hearts, and many were drawn in to salvation in Jesus Christ. Let this be a, a season when that happens in a powerful way because it is so dark, it is so gloomy, so many people are afraid, so many towns are burning up. In California, we pray against those fires in yes. California and Oregon and Washington. We pray, God, would you blow on those fires and blow them out? Oh, God, people, friends are losing their homes, their everything that they own. We pray that those fires would be blown out. 
uh, you, that's what you've done, Lord. You've showed us. This is your power. And we can trust, Father, that uh, nothing is too difficult for you and that you can just, just like that. As you calm the seas, Lord, you just said peace. That was just your word. And there was calm. In Jesus' name. If anybody inside wants to pray, you can run back to the door and we'll get you the mic. But otherwise, why don't we all just pray together? Let's just pray for a minute. I feel like we need to, to press into this, to pray for our leaders. You can pray in tongues if you have the gift of tongues or just pray in English. Thank you, Jesus. Pray that you would bless our leaders, Lord. Give them wisdom. Give them your wisdom, Father God. Thank you for this weather, Father God, and the beauty of this season. Family and I took a drive to Taylor's Falls yesterday, and really, really pretty right now. I recommend it. Uh, a thousand other people had the same idea. It was <laughs> more crowded there than I had ever seen it, but it was wonderful. I love fall, so thank you, Lord, for this season. Hold off the wind for a little bit so that this doesn't blow down. This blew down like four times during practice. Um, let's prepare our hearts and just get ready to worship the Lord. This is a difficult season because it's so distracting. There's so many things just going on. It's sometimes hard to focus on the Lord or on what he would have us do. So, Lord, help us just to set aside all our distractions we set aside all the things that are weighing on our minds or on our hearts. So that we can love you with all our heart, soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And Lord, we confess our sins to you as well, things that we have done or left undone. Let's take a moment just to confess and to listen to the Holy Spirit if there's anything else he would say to you right now. Thank you, Jesus. We receive your forgiveness. And we believe, Lord, that even in these difficult days, that you are going to come through. 
We believe that you're powerful, all-powerful. It's not a challenge for you to revive people's hearts, to revive the country. You've done it many times. And we thank you for that. We ask that you would do it again. There is no fear, cause I believe. There is no doubt, cause I have seen your faithfulness. My fortress over and over. I have a hope found in your name. I have a strength found in your grace. Faithfulness, my fortress, over and over. Make me through the waters, walk me through the fires. Do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of I 
Habakkuk, it says, Lord, we have heard of your fame. We've studied your deeds. But do it again in our day. And that's what we ask this morning, Lord. And we ask in faith. We believe in you. We believe that you will do it again in our day. I want you to think back to a great victory that God brought you in your life amazing testimony that you have. I want you to think back to that and just thank him for it right now. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives, all that you're still doing. We thank you that you're going to do it again. We believe you're going to do it again. I believe in you, God, I believe in you, I believe in you, God, I believe in you, make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for. You are famous for Shut the mouths of lights Bring dry bones to life and Do what you are famous for What you are famous for Walk me through the waters Walk me through the fire Do what you are famous for What you are famous for Shut the mouths of lights Bring dry bones to life and what you are famous for, what you are famous for, make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for, shut the mouths of lies, bring dragons to life, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for, make way through the waters, walk me through the
shout out a prayer of thanks or a prayer of faith of what God is going to do again in your life, in our land. Just shout them out. We believe the prodigals are going to come home. We believe that you're going to encourage those who may have given up on what you've called them to do. You're going to hear us when we cry out to you. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by our power or our passion but only by your spirit that we see change, we see hearts set free. Thank you that you are here right now with us. Whether we're outside on the patio or inside or joining from home or joining weeks from now, your presence is right there with us. Thank you for that, Lord. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. And evidence is all around. Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere is changing. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. But the Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow in this place, fill our hearts with your love, your love, surround us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love, your love, surround us. 
atmosphere is changing now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. Your love surrounds us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love. Your love surrounds us. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. Your love surrounds us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love. Your love surrounds us. Overflow in this place. Fill our hearts with your love. Your love surrounds us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love. Your love surrounds us. Spirit of God fall fresh on us we need your presence your kingdom come your will be done hear us in heaven spirit of God fall fresh on us we need your presence. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hear us in heaven. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom. Your will be done here as in heaven. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. Prophesy this. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as Get to the atmosphere. Your king done come, your will be done. Here has in heaven. Your king done come, your will be done. Here has in heaven. Your king done come, your will be done. Here has 
in heaven. If you need a miracle, I want you to reach out to the Lord for it right now. If you need healing, I want you to reach out and receive it. Physical, mental, spiritual healing. I say be healed in Jesus' name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here as in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here as in heaven. Miracle can happen now for the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around, but the Spirit of the Lord is here. A miracle can happen now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. If anybody has a word from the Lord, go ahead and share it. visual, uh, the wind that we feel, the strong wind that takes the leaves off, take, take the old things that we don't need to hang on to, take those away, Lord, and let us be confident in what you're doing in the Holy Spirit. up and his train still fills the temple amen and the angels still cry holy 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 is the lord amen we thank you lord that even though circumstances may change or our experience of you may change that you never change you are the say yesterday and today and forever same god that brought your people out of egypt same God that brought Jesus to us, you're the same God now. We thank you, Lord. We repent, Lord, of the times we forget that. We so easily get distracted by our circumstances or the circumstances of the world and have the sense that maybe you forgot about us or maybe you're not as powerful as we thought, or maybe you're not going to do the things that we heard about, that we read about. We confess that. We repent. We believe in you, Lord. 
Amen. If I could have Chris come up, and I think Paul has a microphone for you, Chris and Kathy. Oh, Andrew, could you give that to Chris and Kathy? They're coming up here. Good morning, church. Uh, just a little update on uh, my our trip to uh, Crete. And uh, I'm going to let Kathy share. She was there two weeks. I was there almost a month. Uh, and so we'll give a little update. She'll give a little update. And then I'll follow up and tell a little story of, of one of the highlights on the last day when I was leaving. Two mics. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because I've been here a month since that trip, and you know, when I was there, it, God just—it was like a time for me to just uh, decompress, kind of, and just have like a time just really being with God. You know, because here I, I work a lot and got a lot of stuff going on here, and. You know, in the United States, it's so easy to rely on yourself because, you know, there's so many opportunities, so much available. Um, but there, it, it's so different. It's borderline third world in some ways, and especially with the coronavirus. It's So, it, you know, you just have to have so much faith there. Or, you know, and, and that's what God really spoke to me a lot about is just like, like, you said, Luann, I mean, his, the angels are staying holy, holy. He's just a rock. He's never changing. And my faith has to be in him and his character and his love for me and, and who he is and not in the circumstances around us um, or me or, you know, or anything, you know, whether this, what storm comes, trials come, because in Greece there's a ton of them. Um, so, yeah, and, and I just, you know, we, we've been praying for this property to be released for two years, almost two years in November, and, you know, it just seems like so much has just been blocking it, and God can just move just when he wants to, you know, he just showed me that it's not by our might, not by our power, but by his, his timing's perfect, and there's a reason why it's just blocked right now. Um, there's been so much prayer for this place. And if it's never going to happen, it definitely isn't God's will. That's what I felt like God was telling me, or I was thinking. If this place doesn't free up for his glory, for his ministry that we feel it, or it's called to, then it's definitely not his will, you know, and he's got something else. Um, the last day I was there, there was just like five hours before we, I left to get on the plane. Uh, we had, mm, gosh, amazing missionaries from all over the world. There's probably about maybe 15 and we went to the property and we just prayed and we got on our knees and what else did we do we just there was actually a piece of uh i think it was a key a doorknob key that was rusted and was just on the ground and you know and one of the missionaries who just i mean got up and got that key and just said lord we pray you unlock this and then on the hill Stavros Hill, where Zorba the Greek is, is uh, felt, was filmed, is a big cave. And, of course, you know, there's history of all the, these weird animal sacrifices up there. My known, my known sacrifices uh, there, right, right above our property that we just realized while we were praying. Yeah, and so one of the missionaries, you know, 
felt like God was just, you know, there was that spiritual issue there and just prayed against it and just, Lord, unlock this. So, I mean, there's just a lot of spiritual stuff going on and it was just a powerful, amazing time and a prayer for that place. So we're just at a place of waiting and I think God's going to release it and it's just a matter of time. So, yeah, uh, well, it's never easy for me to be in Crete. Um, the, arguably one of the best places in the world to vacation, best food, best swimming. But for me, it's the last place I'd go for a vacation. A lot of spiritual battle for me. Uh, the ministry I do is messy, uh, unity ministry. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, my calling, I believe, is all the letters to all the, uh, all Paul's letters were to the churches of Greece, and they were all two cities. And so uh, I really believe Ecclesiology 101 is, is that churches are churches of community and plurality of leadership. They're all, uh, they all were elder-led. And, um, and the five-fold ministry that Paul writes to the Ephesians was all operating. And part of the big part of revival is to be who God called us to be, how the church was in, in Jerusalem and at times in Greece before all the politics and the problems happen. So, you know, I'm, I work, uh, I, I call us the Church of Hanya, but we have different congregations. I'm a member of all of them. And so we get together with leaders and pray and, and supporting, you know, and we had to go through a lot, but people's eyes are being opened. And, and over 20 years that's been going on. So it's been powerful. Uh, not easy. Uh, through good report, bad report, we continue to, uh, you know, honor and dishonor. We continue to labor and do this. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I do, do want to tell one story that where the scripture came alive personally in my life. And, and, and I remember, Nate, uh, thank you for doing this. Last time, one of the times I, a couple years ago, I I had a, a similar experience in Dallas airport. This was in Athens when I was leaving. Now, this was after five weeks. I had a virus that I didn't really know I had at the time, an eye infection. Uh, it was at the end of going to be eight segments of flights in five weeks. And I had to spend the night in Athens airport. And I had the last bench to lay down on. Well, there happened to be a, a Greek-American guy uh, in, we're in this little corner of the airport. And he was on his uh, phone speaker, and he was talking about his great summer in Greece. And then he started describing, you know, he, he was a homosexual man. He was describing intimacies he had out loud where people could hear. I mean, uh, very, very hard things. I mean, I, I think most normal Christians would run, so I guess I'm not normal. I, I wanted to lay down, but I, I, I just said, this, guy, he, this guy's reprobate. I mean, the things that I was hearing. And then I, I just said, Lord, I, you know, I definitely wasn't in season. <laughs> but I, I prayed, Lord, if you want me to talk to him, he's going to address me. So he got off the phone, and he asked me. He had, of course, he addressed me. And so, you know, I just had, you know, we started talking. I asked him about his faith because I knew it was Greek Orthodox. Uh, a pharmacist in, in New York and a pharmacist in, in Greece, 
owns homes in both places. Uh, you know, everything I'm not in some ways. Uh, you know, it's not easy to be a medical professional in two countries. And so, he, you know, but he, and he, I realized here's a guy who's living for pleasure, anything he could get. You know, he gets to spend three months a year from his whole life in, in Greece, you know, people's dream. And then I, I, you know, I just talked to him about faith. And he said, well, I'm spiritual and not religious. And uh, I just started talking about Jesus. And I talked about hope. And he, I found out that he, uh, the reason he was able to leave to go to Greece every summer is because he uh, works with AIDS, uh, HIV patients with their cocktails as a pharmacist. And I just said, you know, they, they're the ones who need hope so much, HIV patients, and if for, you know, because they know that they may, their life may be very short. And so I'm talking to him, and, and, I'm, t and, I'm, and I'm pushing, which I really feel strongly about, The Chosen, because he, the, this series really shows Jesus, who he really was, and, and shows how he operated in, in the Holy Spirit. And um, so I, as I'm telling him about this, I'm telling him and I'm sharing, and, and I remember when I was talking about the HIV patients, he, he looked at me in a, in a deep way. Well, it ended. And uh, he, we, I saw him on the plane right before I was leaving. And uh, I said, you know, you have the same name as my son, Kostas, and I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying for you because, you know, we have the same name. And, and uh, you are, you know, this, this was powerful for me just to be able to, to talk to you. And he goes, he goes, I'll never forget this conversation in my life. Wow. And I thought, you know, uh, that a, a reprobate person would never, would be never open. But then I realized the scripture was proved through my experience. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Someone yelled it out today, you know, and, and he's kind to the ungrateful and the unrighteous. And, and who do we think uh, Matthew was and Simon the Zealot and uh, Zacchaeus? These are people nobody wanted to be around. So when we think of the people that disgust us the most in the, in the media, in politics, you know, if we were there one-on-one -on -one with, with them, I'm sure God would give us the grace. But anyway, it really opened my eyes to do this. And so, you know, I encourage us to pray when we're dealing these, with these difficult situations. So, you know, uh, I believe the Lord is going to open up this house. Next month is uh, two years, and so if we could keep praying. And my son, Emmanuel, I'm hoping Kathy is going to go pick him up from a tennis tournament. Hoping maybe at the end we could pray for him. Yeah. You know, before you... you. I want to yeah. pray for you right now. Yeah, thank you. Father, we pray for this ministry. Uh, we pray that your hand would be upon it. We pray that you would direct Chris and Kathy in what they should do and when they should do it. They'll know your holy will. We thank you for this conversation. We pray that that man would come under conviction of sin and turn to Jesus Christ, acknowledge his need, and trust in Jesus. Thank you that you give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we bless Chris and Kathy and their family in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for sharing. That couple is living out the gospel, amen? And so is this guy. He's my father-in-law, which is no fault of his own. Um, 
He's, he's going to bring Ducky out to share with us. So if the kids want to, you can scoot sort of in the middle or drag a chair or something, or you can watch from where you're at. So around here? Yeah, come on up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pull your chair right here. Right here, yeah, okay. freezing and cold out here. Yes, I know, but how do you know? I don't know, I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any feelings, you know that? Yeah, just like you. Oh, come on, I do <laughs> Does he need a mask? Does he need a mask? No. Yeah, you guys are all dummy. Run the coolest guy around. Yeah, that's probably true. But anyway, we're trying to be safe and uh, be kind to one another. And yeah. So there's a oh, yeah. lot of things going on. You know, I was just up there watching TV. You're watching TV during church? <laughs> yeah, I was watching TV during church. I was watching you guys down there. The mic fell off. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, Ducky, maybe we'll put the mic on you. Okay, just hang on here. Don't move. Okay. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, can you hear Ducky now? Yeah, I'm talking. Okay, that's good. We put the mic on Ducky. Much better. Yeah, let's put the mute on you! Oh, thank you! He wants to put the mute on me. What kind of a duck is that? Quack! Anyway, today, Grandma and Grand Great Grandma, your great grandma, was watching you sing, and she says, Who's that? <laughs> I said, That's your granddaughter! Granddaughter! Yeah, they forget names. Sometimes they forget my name. But anyway, <laughs> I, I forget a lot of things too. Just like uh, Yeah. Yeah, I forget. Anytime you forget, I forget. No. Makes me embarrassed. Grab my name. I know, I know. But anyway, we won't hold it against you. But anyway, he says, who is that? And I said, that's your great-granddaughter. And, uh, and I said, how do you like the way she sings? And you know what she said? What? Beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. I said, just like you like to sing, yeah. now she likes to sing. Isn't that great? Yeah. And she said, yeah. And then I went to, over to Grandpa. And I said, guess what else she does? What? Plays the clarinet. Just like you. Yahoo! What do you think of that? She said, great! Great! That's right. Isn't that wonderful how all this... Is passed down and our yeah. faith gets passed down to each That's other. Right. And uh, But today our theme is on hardship and uh, how God can make a way, right, mate? Through hard hardship. When things get going tough and you don't know how am I going to get through this, God can make a way. Well, let's think. Like in the Old Testament, you know, uh, uh, an instance where God's people were going along, and then they couldn't go any farther. Remember? Anyway, the Egyptians were behind them, and in front of them was what? Nothing to worry about. Swim. Everybody swim. <laughs> yeah. Well, for for you it's easy because you float. Yeah, you too. You like to swim. I like to swim too. But I was just telling Grandma and Grandpa, I don't think I could have made it that far. Why? Because I think I would have gotten sunburned. I'll show off. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably get sunburned. <laughs> I love to swim. And all my grandchildren love to swim, right? right. Yeah. But uh, still, we would have had suitcases and stuff and we can't get across. So what did they do? 
water. Yes. Yeah. So that they could walk across on what? What was it? Did they walk across on the back of ducks? Yeah, yeah they should have done that. No. They walked the water went this way and that, that way. And they walked on the bottom of the sea, dry land, all the way across to the other side. Wahoo! I know. Isn't that amazing? And then, they, and then God um, uh, closed the very quick and, 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 and the um, soldiers fell into the water. That's right, that's right. The people that were trying to kill them, they were destroyed. Yes. That's right, serves them right. I know, it's kind of too bad, but that's <laughs> happened. That's right, yeah. Um, I was also thinking, uh, like in Bible class, I'm pretty sure the Israelites didn't know how to swim. That's probably true. They had desert all around, you know, and maybe they tried to swim in the Nile. Yeah, I don't think they did. Why is that? They were in denial. Oh, come on. Get out of here. <laughs> no, no, that's a terrible joke. It's your fault. I know it's my fault. But anyway, they probably weren't allowed to as slaves, you know, enjoy and stuff like that. So they were in a bad place. They were between a rock and a hard place. Well, not really a, a soft place. Yeah, that's right. Between a spear and a soft place. That's not good. <laughs> Water. So anyway, how about in the New Testament, anything happened where it was really terrible? Anybody got ideas? Oh, I know. What? My mind went blank. That's just like, no, I, I know. See, I didn't go blank. You didn't go blank. I went blank. Oh, okay. No. The, the thing is, how about when I know there are people in Damascus that were praying really hard. Why? Because there was a guy that was going to come and kill them all. Yeah, try to put him in prison or kill him. Right? Remember? What was the guy's name that was coming to get him? Starts with a S, not a P. It, and it ends with a A-U-L. <laughs> Saul, that's right. right. He later turned to Paul. That's right. Saul, he was coming to get him and kill him. And so those people were praying. What were they praying? Oh, God, help him to not come. Yeah. But he came anyway. God didn't answer the prayer. Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, pray to the Lord. And maybe they prayed, oh, God, um, make him go blind or something. Yeah, he answered that prayer all right. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Isn't that interesting? Oh, but you know what? I bet you maybe a lot of them could not imagine how God changed the situation. What happened? Uh, he, he killed a, us? Christian. No, he a Christian. Yeah. Like, was one of the was the greatest missionary of all time. Yeah, he saw the light. Yes, for sure, he did. And he got blinded like, you know, they prayed perhaps. But he became on their side and became the greatest missionary of all time. That's fantastic. And you know, in this day and age, we have people who are worried about what's going to happen now. We've got fires and floods and terrible... Uh, things going on we got covid happening yeah i don't have to worry about that i know you don't but we do and we're and we have to be careful and uh you know like the economy's going down the tubes are you gonna feed me no i never feed you that's right and uh and then uh you know like racism and stuff yeah 
people against green ducks. Yeah, that's right. And people divided. And uh, about all kinds of things. How about abortion? Yeah, they're worried about abortion and stuff. and Religious freedom. That's right. And we want to preserve all those things. And they go like, oh, if this guy gets elected, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Or if that guy gets elected, oh, we're all going to get in a, in a handbasket. Yeah, watch your language. Yeah, I did. Okay. So, anyway, the thing is, we need to pray like the people of Damascus. That's right. Blind that other bad presidential election. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't pray for that. No, we pray that God would convict them and make them repent and change their hearts and follow the ways of the Lord. That's right. That's right. So we don't just say, oh, if this guy gets elected, then the kingdom of heaven will come and everything will be fine. No, that's right. And if that guy, you know, everything will be terrible. No. We need to do the hard work of praying for revival, changing people's hearts, and, yeah. and making a difference. Yes. Um, and uh, another thing about Paul, didn't he say that God put the people who are in charge there? Yeah. That's right. And God can use even bad people like the emperor or whatever, you know, for uh, to to help uh, keep law and order and keep things good, yeah. But also we need to pray that they will be righteous because sometimes they persecute Christians and kill them. All that stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Did you hear that? Let's pray for the Lord to kill the coronavirus. Yes, done with the coronavirus. That's right. We need to pray and then pray that as they are, as we are conquering this, that people will turn to the Lord for their true help and hope, not just in this world, but yes, forever. Okay, it's time for us to take a nap. I'm getting tired. Okay, time for him to take a nap. Sleep through the sermon. Not the rest of you. Not the rest of you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Ducky and Steve, who has something to do with it. I'm going to start out with a story. The year is 1995. It is, I think, June of 1995. I am in between my junior and senior year of high school. And my family and I, uh, my baby sister Stephanie was like, I don't know, three, four. She was tiny. And uh, my brother and my mom was there um, in Grantsburg, Wisconsin. We were hanging out at a friend's lake home kind of having a little mini vacation in the summer while dad was home working. And um, it ended up becoming my first experience of like a spiritual retreat. Um, God was really talking to me a lot and I was reading a bunch of different books by a bunch of very different people like Andrew Murray and Creflo Dollar and John G. Lake and a bunch of other people. And which is part of how I do things. I'm very diverse in the things I do and read. And my family growing up taught me that you eat the fruit and you spit the pits. 
and some things have bigger pits than others, right? You know, grapes have little seeds, peaches have giant pits that are full of arsenic and you don't want to eat those. Um, and so I was reading all these things and some things I'm like, yeah, that's good. Other things I'm like, yeah, maybe not. Uh, but I was 17, so what did I know? But I'm going through this time and reading a lot and praying a lot and I was out on the grass by the lake and the Lord spoke to me in a very loud way. I didn't hear it with my ears, but it was very interrupting my train of thought, right? Um, which once in a while it happens that way. Usually it's a still small voice that we have to be listening for, but sometimes he jumps in and interrupts. And he spoke to me and he said, I am calling you, actually no, he used past tense, I have called you to help lead a great revival. And I said, sweet, that sounds great, I'm in. And then he did something I really didn't expect, which was he said, wait, wait, wait. I need you to seriously think about this and decide this is serious. And I was sort of taken aback by that. And I was like, what? And then I saw a vision and I had my eyes open, but I saw it, but not with my eyes but I saw it. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Uh, but I had this vision of like a sort of a cartoon looking contract, like something you would see on Bugs Bunny or something like that, where it's like, you don't really make out the words. And on the bottom, there's like a place to sign and a red line and like a calligraphy pen, right? So that was the, the vision. And I saw that and I understood it to be a covenant that God was saying, I need you to sign this if you're in. And then he said, if you do this, it's going to cost you. And I want to pause there and just say, by cost, that doesn't mean you buy it. Um, but it does mean that there is a consequence. Sometimes when God calls us to do things, there are consequences like sacrifice, suffering. Um, actually, always those two. Um, and so God said, I, I want you to sign this, but I need you to be serious about it. Because this is going to cost you the thing you love the most. And that really paused me. Because <laughs> again, 17-year-old kid, right? <clears throat> and so I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, the thing I love the most. The only thing I could think of was maybe he meant a wife, like getting married. Because I was only 17, but I really wanted to get married and be a husband and be a father. That was like one of my biggest desires in life. And I thought, well, maybe he's saying if I follow what he's calling me to do, that, that would mean I wouldn't get married. And I was like, that would suck. <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to do that, but I was like, well, if this is what God wants you to do. So I thought about it, and I thought about it for hours in the space of 30 seconds, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, and I decided, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. No matter what, God, I'm in. So I, in my mind, I sort of took the pen and signed the cartoony covenant. Um, and that was it. He didn't, he didn't say anything else. And, and that was it. And I was like, okay, so I guess revival starting roughly tomorrow, probably. Right. Um, that was 25 years ago and I'm still waiting and I'm still praying. And I wish I could say that every single year of those 25 years, I gave up no hope, and I persevered, and I prayed like crazy every single day. But that would be a lie. 
because I kind of went like this a little bit. Um, there were definitely times where I'm like, how long, Lord? Like Andrew shared in the psalm last week uh, when he preached about lament, which I really recommend you watching if you, didn't watch, if you weren't here. Um, how long? It's been a year. It's been five years. Now, I wasn't not doing anything. I was sort of going about my life expecting revival to happen, which gave me more boldness and led me to do things that were maybe riskier, riskier socially, let's say. Um, like in my high school, started a Bible study, that sort of thing. I don't know that I would have done that had God not spoken to me about that because um, I was a high school kid. Um, so it did change, I think, my outlook and what I did. But ultimately, looking back on it now, 25 years later, God needed me to change by the time this started so that I was ready. And some people take longer than others uh, to get to the place where God wants them to be or needs them to be. And God knew it was going to take at least 25 years <laughs> in my case, because some of us are slow and some of us are me. And for whatever reason, it just, it's taking that long. I hope that's all. I hope it's not 35 years. I hope it's 25. I don't think it'll be 35. Um, but I also didn't think it would be 25 back then. It's like when Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Like they thought that meant now, right? And it's been 2,000 years and it might be another 2,000. We don't know. Uh, but sometimes that's the way God works, and, it, and telling, you, telling you in advance about something is sometimes to prepare you and sometimes to lead you into a place, as was the case with me, of that longing and that struggle and that perseverance. Every time Jesus teaches about prayer, he teaches about perseverance, right? Persistence. And so I think that's part of what was going on there uh, 25 years ago. So I'm still praying. I'm still waiting. I think, though, that... The day is coming pretty soon when God's going to start moving in the ways that he talked about back then. And he said a lot of other things about revival um, that I'll share over the next year or so. Um, can I say something? You, you can say something. Can I get a mic? Thank you. Are you going to change my story? No, I won't change your story. She was there. I just want to add, add another dimension. Um, we have talked in the past a lot about the now and the not yet. And they're looking from the outside, okay, at, at Pastor Nate's story, uh, from a different perspective, is it's his word has come true. And it is coming true. Okay, because revival did come to Concordia Academy. Mm hmm uh, when Steph was there, it was in full-blown revival. And so it, that word has proven out, and I believe even on another dimensional level, is that it has proven out in Nate's life because he has brought revival where he has gone. And so I really think that this is a now and a not yet word. And that's often the case with words, and it's even the case with words we see in the Scripture, right? There's, there's a current aspect to it, and then there's kind of the ultimate aspect to it. That this is it now. This is the, the full fulfillment, you might say. Um, and there was a cost. It did. I'm not going to get into this right now because I don't want to distract from what we're talking about. Um, but there was a cost. It did cost me the thing I love the most. And that wasn't getting married, as it turned out. It ended up being my ability to feel God's love. And God took that away from me. 
and I'll share about that another time. But at this point, it's been 15 years since I felt the love of God, and I don't even remember what it feels like. But I know that God loves me because of this. And I don't just mean I have faith. I mean I've moved from faith into knowledge, into certainty that God loves me. And nobody could ever convince me otherwise. Uh, but it was fun when I could feel it and when I could experience it. And I would like to do that again. I hope I can. You know, a lot of people have had the same experience throughout history and written about it. Mother Teresa, it lasted 20 years for her. And I'm like, God, I don't want to go another five years. Uh, but your will be done, right? And that, that, was, that was an unexpected, again, I use the word cost, but I, I, I don't mean that in the sense of paying for something. I mean in the sense of a, a result, a consequence, a sacrifice. Um, and I, I want to move from that personal story now to talking about the story of our country as it pertains to revival and as it pertains to that waiting period that we've experienced a lot. Now, as you most likely know, this country was founded primarily initially by people who were seeking the freedom to express their relationship with God in the way that they felt called to. And so you had people like Puritans and people like Baptists and people like Quakers, who my Johnstone ancestor was a Quaker. He came here in a roughly 1690, not here, Virginia. Nobody was here. Uh, uh, in 1690, because in Scotland, you couldn't be a Quaker at that time. So these people were kicked out or ran. Um, and it was a hard passage from Europe to America. And it was a hard life when you got here back then. And so those were pretty hardcore people right? These were serious Christians. These were committed folks. So our country was founded on this like real spiritual high level, right? Um, but as tends to happen, it, 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 it came down over the years and over the generations. And you're going to see a story this morning that's the same story we see here all the time, especially with the Israelites. Things would go great, and then things would be terrible, and then everybody would be in love with God, and then nobody would remember his name. And, and it would just go like that, and it would go like that, and our country has gone like that over and over and over again. So we started off real high, then things started getting bad. And after that kind of initial zeal of those settlers, the colonies grew cold and stale, and things were going great in terms of the country, like wealth and influence and invention and all those things were increasing, but people's interest in God was, was decreasing. A lot of folks still went to church, but it was a religious duty. Pe people didn't believe. According to the, the accounts of the time, very few believed. Even fewer lived it out, outside of showing up at church. And then things started to change in the 1730s. So things went down, things got bad. And then in the 1730s, in various colonies and various places, it started out really, really small. You started seeing revivals, usually in really small places with just a few people. You started seeing God show up. And it wasn't a result of great preaching. It wasn't a result of great leadership. It was a result of a divine move of God. God in his sovereignty chose to come down into America and change things and change people's hearts. And people started experiencing revival. Like on the road to Damascus, the two disciples who had Jesus show up and talk to them. Remember that story? Yeah. And then he leaves and they're like, wait, wait, wait. When he was talking to us 
Did not our hearts burn within us? I love that line. Was it just me or was your heart on fire when he was talking to us? No, it's not just you. It was me too. And then they realized that was Jesus and their minds were open to the scriptures and all this great stuff. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. People's hearts just got set on fire for God. And it started happening more and more and more and more. And then whole churches, whole communities started experiencing this. And the people who wrote about it at the day um, wrote a lot about it because it was so different than their normal experience, showing up at church, listening to what some guy told them, and then going home and doing nothing different with their life. People came under powerful conviction of sin. It's written about people reported life-altering experiences of God's grace. God would show up and people would actually experience him for themselves and not just at church meetings or revival meetings. At home, washing the dishes, doing the chores. They would experience God for themselves. And this hadn't really happened, certainly for those people, but it hadn't happened in this country really in a long way. That's not how people accessed God. People access God through the church, through the institutions, through the rules. And God was circumventing all of that and going straight at people's hearts. And this had a profound effect on the individuals, but also on the psyche of the whole nation. People started experiencing miracles, healing, supernatural stuff. God became real for everybody. This was the Great Awakening. It was more than just a revival. He did more than revive the church. He did more than bring people to him. It was a real awakening for the whole country, and it affected the nation and the culture. Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian, wrote this, and I read it in a slightly annoyed tone of voice because I assume that's how he was. It seemed as if the whole world were growing religious so that no one could even walk through the town in the evening without hearing psalms sung in different parts and different places on every single street. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. I assume he was a little annoyed by it. So he's walking around town and people are just singing songs and psalms and praise songs everywhere he goes. And there's just revival everywhere. And he's like, what is going on? I, I don't like this. I, pr I pray he came to faith before he died. I do, because I, I think Ben would be a cool guy to get to know. Um, and so revivals were taking place in churches and towns. They started having meeting in town squares. Things got bigger and bigger and bigger. By the 1740s and 1750s, you were having massive, massive rallies in the thousands, okay? There are multiple accounts of giant rallies over 30,000 people. And we're talking 1740, 50. Imagine 30,000 people getting together back then without indoor plumbing or heat or food or like how are these people even even managing this um george whitfield was one of one of the main leaders of the great awakening and jonathan edwards was another one and jonathan edwards said of george whitfield that he had a supernatural gift of speaking not just in the sense of being a good preacher but jonathan edwards believed that george whitfield had a supernatural gift of being heard from a long distance away because he said you could sit in the back of a group of 30,000 people and hear every word George Whitfield said. Which sounds like a miracle to me. I don't, I don't see how you could do that. Even if you were really trained well, um, that's, that's tough. So things were big, massive, and it caused a lot of change in the country um, and in the culture. And historians, even secular historians, agree that nothing drew the colonies together like the Great Awakening. It was the single transforming period that led directly to the American Revolution. 
because people started realizing that there was personal accountability to God. And so there should be personal accountability to each other. They started realizing that, biblically speaking, all men are created equal. Well, that should include the king. King George is, is no better than us. He's equal to us. And God started moving on the hearts of people in regards to abolitionism. That is, the, getting rid of slavery. They started referring to the pox of slavery, or the pox, like sickness, like smallpox, right? The curse. The pox of slavery brought on by the king. Because remember, they're subjugated under the king, and they're like, we didn't choose this whole slavery thing. The king brought it to us, and he's continuing it. And so they started speaking against that, which that, of course, was treason. And um, so God kept kind of moving on people's hearts, these ideas of equality, the idea that maybe women should have rights, that maybe people of different colors should have rights. And all these ideas just started percolating, but it started in in the church, among Christians, through the Great Awakening. And most scholars, secular and Christian alike, agree that that led, in a way, directly to um, the Declaration of Independence, directly to the American Revolution. Um, people began preaching widely that any Christian had to free their slaves. If you were a real Christian, if you actually said you loved God, then you cannot own slaves. You have to free them. And people started freeing them like crazy. Other people would steal them sometimes and buy them. So the country still had a problem. But people were starting to wake up to realize this. And so when I talk about the Great Awakening, it's not just a revival for the church. It's not just bringing millions of people into the kingdom of God and into God's family. It changed the culture. It changed the whole country. In, in a lot of different ways. Um, Jonathan Edwards was one of the leaders of the Great Awakening, as I said, and he's still considered one of America's greatest theologians. He became the pr uh, president of Princeton University uh, right before he died. He was the president of Princeton. And kids, you're gonna like this. Jonathan Edwards was the grandfather of a guy named Aaron Burr. Our family loves the musical Hamilton. And Aaron Burr is very famous for being our third vice president in the United States. He's one of the founding fathers, but he is probably most famous for killing Alexander Hamilton in a duel. And he was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. Remember in, in, the, in the play? Sorry, just having a moment with my family. Yeah, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher. And that's, this is the guy. Jonathan Edwards was the fire and brimstone preacher. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was one of the famous... Uh, sermons of the day. He really did start the fire and brimstone stuff. Um, and so a lot of founding fathers were directly influenced out of the Great Awakening. And so after that, you would hope that things would just continue to be awesome, right? And to continue to go uphill. Once God pushed the trajectory this way, hopefully the trajectory keeps going that way. But unfortunately, people are people. And when things go well, we tend to get worse. You can see it all through history. The more comfortable we are, the more safe we feel, the more money we have, we get worse spiritually, and then we get worse morally. It happens every single time. And it happened here. So we won the Revolutionary War, but by the time it was over, America as a whole was so prideful that we weren't even giving God credit anymore for any of that. Most people, okay? And so 
right after the Revolutionary War, humanism really took over. And the younger people wanted nothing to do with the religion of their grandparents. They wanted nothing to do with that. We don't need that anymore. We're our own people. We made our own country. We made everything. It's us, us, us. It was all humanism. And church attendance plummeted. And people of the day were reporting that a lot of the churches, by 1790, they hadn't taken any new members in 10 or 20 years. Hadn't baptized a single person. No young people were coming to church. Everybody in the church had gray hair. And to the point where, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so that had a direct result on society. Again, nearly 10% of the population were considered drunkards. And alcoholism became one of the leading causes of death in America. Marriage rates plummeted. Bank robberies were common, like all the time. All the banks got robbed, like regularly. Um, and violence was the norm. Women, it's famously written about that women were afraid to leave their houses almost everywhere in the country at night. You didn't, it was not safe to leave your house at night for fear of being assaulted. In 1790, there were only two Christians at Princeton University. Now, Jonathan Edwards was the president of Princeton University in 1758. So 32 years later, there's only two Christians there. Isn't that crazy? That's a rapid decline. You go from one of the leaders of the Great Awakening being your president to there's only two Christians left. At Harvard, there was only one Christian left. Uh, things were not going well. A lot of colleges were having um, open mockeries and blasphemies of Christianity. They'd, help, they'd hold black masses, mock communions, do plays that openly mock Christianity because they're like, nobody cares. If we mock it, we can mock it as much as we want to. We're mocking the old ways. Uh, none of the young people were Christians. The, the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, who was a Christian, wrote a letter to the leaders of the churches saying, the church is too far gone to ever be restored. That's what the Supreme Court Justice said to the church leadership, and they agreed. The historians and philosophers and thinkers of the day looked at the situation and they said, Christianity's dead. And within 30 years, it'll be totally forgotten in the United States. No one will be a Christian. It'll be part of the past. And everybody agreed. That's how bad things got. So pause. We talk a lot about how bad things are right now. It actually was worse here in this time. Uh, it was real bad. <laughs> it was real, real bad. 1790 to 1795. The Christians who were left, the remnant, said, well, we don't want Christianity to end in this country. And so we're going to pray. And so, for, what? It is not this day that Christianity will end. Exactly. And so four people over here would get together and pray. And eight people over there would get together and pray. And two old ladies over here would get together and pray. People just started getting together and praying for mercy from God because it had gotten so bad so quickly and the momentum was so fast going downhill. They literally needed a miracle. They needed God to show up again in the way that he had showed up in their grandparents and great grandparents day. They looked at the same scriptures we were quoting this morning. Do it again in our day, please. We need it. That's our only hope. And guess what God did? God said, nah, you don't deserve it. God said, nah, you didn't earn it. 
Nah, you didn't read your Bible enough. No, he didn't do any of that, did he? Nah, you're too sinful. Nah, there's no faith. Nah, there's too much violence. Nah, you don't get along. There's too much sexual immorality. I'm using these examples because this is what I hear Christians talking about today. God's going to destroy our country because... And they've got a nice list of stuff. Well, things were even worse back here. And God did not say, you're right, I'm out. He didn't say, you're right, I'm going to smite the nation. He said, guess what? I'm a savior. It's what I do, folks. I'm going to save them. It's what he's famous for. Good connection, Andrew. And so he came in to a desperate situation. And the second great awakening was bigger, longer, and even more powerful than the first. Amen. Amen. And it, it happened much the same way in that it started small and then it spread and then it spread and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And a lot of the same things happened as in the first Great Awakening. The cultural changes in the nation, though, were even more stark. They were even more powerful, partly because it had gotten so bad, I think. Um, the abolitionist movement took on new fervor to the point where people, a lot of people in the United States, came to the conclusion that we must end slavery at all costs, no matter what. No matter what, we have to end slavery. We'll die for that. And many of them did during the Civil War. Unfortunately, it took the Civil War to do it. They pushed as hard as they could push culturally, as hard as they could push on politics, and things broke politically in this country. And not enough people were submitting to the Holy Spirit um, and giving those things to God. And so it took war to do it but they were willing to go to that war because they were so convinced that slavery was like the most evil thing, which how did everybody not understand that? I don't know. Um, but enough Christians came to understand it. One of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening was a pastor named Lyman Beecher, who is the father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who you've probably read her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, in school. That was a very powerful book that showed primarily white people what it was actually like to be a slave. Because a lot of them had never seen a slave. They didn't know what it was like. And so they read that and they're like, oh my gosh, is this real? Is this stuff real? This has got to be made up. And they're like, no, this is real. And people started freaking out and being like, well, no. We, no, we, we're America. We cannot let this happen. And so they started to take action. And that was uh, the daughter of one of the leaders. Um, Christians came to believe that America would be under God's judgment for slavery if they didn't act, if they didn't try to change it. Um, a lot of other things happened as well. The first women's suffrage movements began out of the Second Great Awakening. The idea that women were equal to, they had the right to vote. Uh, they should have the right to vote and do other things like that. Uh, the missionary movement began, and the first missionary societies began. Protestant missionaries out of America didn't really happen before this. A couple, a year, who had like direct revelation from God that they should go to another country and preach, and they would go, but that was it. And now you have tens of thousands being sent every single year to countries all over the world. And that began because of the Second Great Awakening. They founded 600 different Christian colleges, and it just goes on and on how many things happened in this country as a direct result of this. Um, in 1825, a lawyer named Charles Finney got saved, and he was a reprobate. Chris, speaking of reprobates. But he got saved, gave up his law practice, and started preaching the gospel. These, this was out west, where it was real rough. 
People show up to a revival meeting right after shooting a guy in the street. Okay, it's rough time. And he went there because he felt like those were the people that really needed it. He brought a guy named Nash with him who would pray. He would do intercessory prayer before Finney started doing meetings and he would stay afterwards. And that began the intercessory prayer movement. People didn't really have an understanding of intercessory prayer and about the, the need to pray things out or pray things through, to listen to God and pray about specific things to bind specific things or loose specific things or whatever. And that began here um, through the ministry of Charles Finney and this guy named Nash. They had powerful moves of the Holy Spirit, miracles, healings. There's cool paintings and lithographs and stuff of people like lying on the floor and people like wailing and people like throwing crutches, you know, and stuff like that. There's all these cool paintings from the day. It was, it was hardcore. It was big and it was happening all over the place. Um, Charles Finney encouraged women to preach and to lead services because he said, hey, if the Holy Spirit is going to choose them, I'm not going to tell him no. And so he started having women preach, and that was obviously something that people did not like, a lot of people didn't like um, back then. A lot of other races were involved too. He, had, uh, he famously had a number of Chinese people and a number of freed slaves who were on the ministry team, and they would preach, and they would reach out to people. And that, that didn't happen back then. You didn't have whites, Chinese, and blacks all in the same tent worshiping God. That was inappropriate, okay? And he's like, we're all children of God. It's not inappropriate. It's family time. Um, and that changed the cultural understanding. And I could go on forever. I, I cut these notes in half, and then I cut them in half again because uh, I could do hours on this. There's just so many awesome things that's happened. Um, in the year 1850, just that one year, this was right about at the end of the Second Great Awakening, in that one year, a million people came to Jesus. A million people in one year. Now that was back then. We're only 23 million people in the country. So that's like 4% of the population adjusted today. That'd be over 15 million people coming to Jesus in one year. Before radio. Before anything other than a horse. And a person with a voice. Um, it's amazing what God did and what he continued to do after that. The term evangelical, of course, comes from the Great Awakening that was very evangelical. And so we look at our world today, and we see that it's, this has happened again, right? So we see we started off great, then things went bad, then God brought a Great Awakening, and then things went bad, and God brought another Great Awakening, and now things are bad again. I don't think anybody would disagree that things right now are bad. But what is God going to do about that? Is he just going to let us die? Let us end with a whimper? Are we going to all end up being thrown in jail because the culture gets so terrible that Christianity becomes illegal? I don't believe so. I believe that God is going to bring another great awakening. I think he is going to do again what he has done in our country, what he did in his word over and over again. I believe that there will be another great awakening. I think it's already started. I think history, when they look back, this is going to be the time where they're like, it, right about in here, right about in here is when that great awakening started and everything changed. And that's when all the cultural change that we now experience happened and started. And I believe we're going to see racism end in America. I believe that we're going to see hunger end in America. I think we're going to see abortion end in America, I believe we're going to see the radical injustice 
related to inequality end in America. And it's not just for America. I think this one's going to be different. I think it's going to be a global awakening. And I think by the time I'm the age of the Reverend Phil Ludio, who's 96 years old, I think by the time I'm that age, Islam will be over. It'll be a historic religion that used to exist. And those people are all going to become Christians. And some of the most amazing things that have ever come out of Christianity are going to come out of those places that have been kept in the darkness of Islam for hundreds and hundreds of years. I think that extreme poverty and hunger are going to end on this planet while I'm still alive. That's what I believe. I think all of us are going to get to experience this. I think all of you who are here, you who are inside, you who are watching from home, you were born for such a time as this. I really believe it. You do. Mm, at school? For such a time as this? That's good. Well, I think that's why we're all here. You're not here by accident. God predestined you, each of you, to be alive during these days. He predestined you to be alive now because this is the time when he is going to be doing these things. And he has called you to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. He really has. This is your destiny to be a part of these things that God is going to be doing in this day, to be a part of the next great awakening. And some of you have an idea already of maybe what God might be calling you to do. Some people are in a life transition and you're not sure what the next season holds. Some people have just maybe never thought of it, about this before and that's okay. But I encourage you to spend some time with God thinking about this and trying to decide whether or not you're going to say yes to this call. Because he's going to call you. He's not calling you to be a participant or an observer. He's calling you to be a partner with him in what is happening. God enacts his will through us. Amen? So he is calling you to partner with him. And if you are willing to say yes, and it will cost you if you do, it will cost you. It might cost you everything. Okay? I want to be serious about this. It will cost you. You're talking about giving up your life so that you can help other people have life. This is real stuff. But if you will say yes to that, then I guarantee you that through you, God will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you could ask for or even imagine. It would literally blow your mind. If God came right now and said, this is what I'm calling you to do. In the next 50 years, this is what you're going to do. You'd be like, no, you would not believe it. He's going to do more than you could even imagine. And over the next year, we're going to be talking about how do we prepare for this individually, as a family, how do we prepare as a church family, how do we prepare for the days that are coming so that we can respond to God properly and so that we can be ready. Because I don't want you to wait 25 years. 25 days, maybe, <laughs> would be better. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at. And so I want you to think, we're going to end just with a minute of prayer here. But I want you to think about whether or not you're willing to say yes to the call of God because it's coming. If you haven't felt that call on your heart yet to dive in and be a part of what God's doing, it will come. Probably soon. 
probably in the next few months. And so I encourage you to do what John the Baptist did when he saw this about to happen in his life. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. To allow yourself to decrease, to put everything, all your hopes and dreams on the altar and say, God, I'll give all of this to you if you want. I'll give it all to you if you ask me to. I want to obey. I want to partner with you. I want to do what you're calling me to do. And if God hasn't brought you to that place yet, he's going to soon. Don't be afraid. And feel free to talk to other people here. Because a lot of us have already experienced that and we might be able to help walk you through it. I want to take a couple minutes to pray. I'm not going to do like an altar call or something like that. Some of you are already there. You're ready to say, yes, I am in. I am in God for whatever you want to do. Whatever you're calling me to do, I'm in. Others, maybe we haven't thought about this much. But Spirit of God, I ask you to just move on our hearts. Even now. Move on the hearts of everybody here, of everybody watching at home, everybody inside. Show us the areas of our life that we need to give up over to you and put on that altar. Help us to humble ourselves before you and really put you first, really put you as Lord of our life, not ourselves. We tend to try to be Lord of our own life. We want to give that to you. Lord, teach us repentance. Maybe you've been calling us and we've been ignoring you. Maybe we've been running the other direction. Lord, I pray that nobody here has to get swallowed by a fish because we're not listening to what you're calling us to do. Help us to have the heart, a soft heart to respond. And I pray that you'd help us with perseverance in prayer and persistence. I believe we're walking into a great awakening. And I believe you have called everyone here to be a part of it. Not for our glory, all for yours. Thine be the glory. Revive us again. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to end here for the sake of the tape and everything. Um, I still say tape because I'm old. Um, but if anybody has any questions or wants to make any comments, you may feel free to do that. Yeah, Chris. Uh, Should be on. Does this mean that, like uh, you spoke about how God moved in history with the Jews and, and also mm -hmm. in our country? Mm -hmm. And so in 1850, the, the Second Great Awakening ended. And that, yeah. th that next 10 years was awful. Wasn't Dred Scott during there where yep. the Supreme Court said that black people were not human, basically? Yep, exactly. And then the war came. So is Dred Scott was a slave in Minnesota, by the way. Really? I didn't know that. He so, was illegally kept at Fort Snelling by the Army as a slave. Wow, I'm gonna dig, I'll dig into that. Um, do you believe this Great Awakening will come without a war, like this, the second? Yes. You, Absolutely. So you believe this yes. will be averted? I, I, I don't know that war will be averted. 
um, it, it, there's always opposition to moves of God. And so by the end of the, great, the first Great Awakening, uh, just a few years later, you had the Revolutionary War. And at the end of the Second Great Awakening, just a few years later, you had the Civil War. So I'm not saying we're going to be able to avoid war through a Great Awakening, but if, the, if it happens, it would be very different because people will be following God and that is going to be their primary focus. Slavery couldn't be ended in this country without a war. It just, it wasn't, it couldn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and so a war had to take place to end slavery. I guess the question is, could abortion be ended without um, a war? That's, that is a good question. I believe it could um, because Again, when you're talking about a great awakening, you're talking about God changing the hearts mm -hmm. of a lot of people. And all it would take is God changing the hearts of a whole lot of people and removing the deception from enough people's eyes to realize that, oh, you mean it's not a blob of mat matter, it's actually a human? Oh, maybe we shouldn't kill humans mm -hmm. even if they live somewhere inside someone. Um, and I think God will change people's minds to that Let's point. Let's pray that. And my, my, pr my prayer is that we wouldn't have another civil war or something like that. Of course. Yeah. Andrew. And we're talking about physical war, but technically it's all going to be definitely a spiritual war. Yes. Absolutely. And I think the spiritual war is happening now. And to be perfectly frank, I think the things that are happening in this country right now are a result of the spiritual war that's already happening. I think God is already displacing the devil and displacing a lot of these principalities and powers in different places, and they don't like to get kicked out, right? And we read about this in the Bible, and I think God is booting all these things to make a way for this next great awakening to start. And that's why I say I think it's already happening. It's already happening in the spirit, and in the spirit, I think the war is almost done already. But I don't think we're going to like see the results of it until that part finishes. But I think all this, the burning and the looting and all, all the stuff that's going on, I think that's like, that's the death throes of these things that are being kicked out. Like in the Civil War, the war was over, but you still had armies salting the earth and doing all this kind of stuff like on their way out, right? And I think that's what's happening. I think the enemy is being kicked out and he's like kicking over as much stuff as he can and just causing problems on his way out. Um, and it looks really bad, but I think all of this stuff is actually evidence that something really good is happening. That's my conviction. Um, yeah, the clash of the kingdoms. Yep. And we don't see that happening, but I think we see the effects of it happening. Andrew. Don't sometimes little children do that when they figure out they're getting trouble and then as they're like running away, they try to topple up. Perhaps stuff. some of my little children do that or used to do that. One of them in particular used to do that all the time. As soon as they knew they were in trouble, they would run away and literally knock everything over as they were running away. They're like, if I'm getting in trouble, I'm gonna earn it, baby. And they would just knock stuff over and like yell and like throw things until I caught them. Um, and that is the kind of juvenile behavior that I think is happening in our culture right now. John, Amen. did I see you? Christianity seems to do better under persecution. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing some of that here among 
um, you know, coaches being fired, yep. uh, you know, things like that. But it, it's not that serious, really. Uh, but uh, I, I wonder, like, you look at all of Europe, you know, which is, you know, has been, you know, um, historically Christian. You got, you know, you got Luther and the Gutenberg Bible yep. and all this, you know. Um, even England was ahead of us in ending the slave, slave trade, but yes. all of that's pretty much evaporated, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if that's a kind of a, barom, a kind of a measure of things that come here. It um, could be if God didn't intervene. Okay. I, I think that's exactly well, where we'll be going if God doesn't intervene, but He will. I was going to uh, say way back, and I, I didn't, but when Kathy and Chris. We're up here and we're praying for them. And <clears throat> I felt uh, a strong picture, vision of the Lord allowing your place that you're praying for to be a strong, bright, and big light. Uh, visually to Christians, but also to non-Christians, that they would ask people what, I've seen a light. And what is that? Well, then it's going to be a chance to witness. And then I also heard the Lord saying, you, and we know this from God's word, we are all lights. And wherever we go now, to be aware that when we step into a place, we're going to change the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. God's wow. going to give us the things to say, boldness and yeah. yeah. his word. And so, thank you, Lord. I just feel that strongly. Yes, wow. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, this is a powerful message, and I, I want to bless Nate, and then I want us to hear from Emmanuel and pray for oh, Emmanuel. Uh, this is a really important message in our day, and uh, I'm thankful that he has done the work. He's done some homework. He knows the history. Uh, to be able to share this. It was exciting for me to hear the history and to, to believe. I, uh, I'll tell you, when I'm in a, I'll probably preach on revival in the next couple of months and share my own story of turning from being a skeptic as a Christian, a strong Christian, to believing that revival is imminent. I'm with Nate, believing we're stepping into it. We're at the door right now. We're at the door. We're going to see it in weeks or months. Oh, right there. So uh, put your hand up because he's done it. I hope this message is heard many places. I hope that he could, uh, he could speak this message. Father, I pray that you would use Nate to help spark this revival. I pray that you would use him to instruct people about what's going on in this season so that uh, well, that preparation, that when he said yes to it as a 17-year-old, now you're fulfilling it today. Use him. Take him where you want to use him and make him an influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, come, come here, Emmanuel. Uh, tell tell what's, what, they, what he's been doing and uh, why he's back and, and how we can pray for him. Uh, Emmanuel is in uh, San Antonio area at the uh, John Newcomb's Tennis Ranch, and he's... Uh, got a scholarship there for tennis and he does a schooling there and he lives there and they're kind of they're kind of blocked out they're locked down so he hasn't been able to go to church and this is texas you know so uh he's um 
Yeah. Just so you, some of you may not know that this is a tennis family. That she played in Wimbledon. She was four-time uh, Kathy. Raise your hand, Kathy. Kathy was a four-time All-American. That doesn't happen very often. For all four years at UCLA, she played in Wimbledon. She teaches tennis. She uh, she was a teacher at Matamidi. It's the only time that Idina hasn't has lost uh, in the uh, state championship. Uh, state championships when he, she took uh, Matamidi to the state championship and defeated him. So so they're a tennis family, and Emmanuel is the youngest. He's uh, ninth grade, and he's he's rated nationally. He's got a national ranking. Uh, do we know what that is? Uh, so he's decent. Yeah, top hundred in the country as a tennis player. So they p took him to Texas uh, to to be schooled there to do more tennis. You go to Texas when you want to do sports or Florida. It used to be used to go to uh, Southern California. That's, they got washed out, and now it's Florida or Texas, summer uh, states in the south. So, how can we pray for you, Emmanuel? Introduce God to people. Whoa, whoa. Do you have, you know, do you have friends, or is it hard? No, I have a lot of friends. Okay, that's awesome. Are they skeptics? Uh, most of them are. There's like maybe one or two Christians there, but that's it. Are they spoiled rich kids or are they yeah, just... Yeah, most of them are. <laughs> Listen what, to that. That's what I would expect, yeah. Yeah, spoiled rich kids. God and has a history of using spoiled rich kids too, though. Yeah. So. He could. And you want to be used to pl uh, both to play Ooh, great tennis yeah. and to touch people. Yep. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Put, put your hand out and let's bless... Emmanuel, what a name, you know, he's, he's, they put heavy names on their kids, like Christo, wow, <laughs> Emmanuel, you, you can't, you, you can't do anything different, you, you, you can't escape from it, because he's got the name, so, uh, Emmanuel, with us God, I pray God that you would be with Emmanuel mm -hmm. in this matter. His heart is set on it. He's not there to mess around. He's, he's there both to speak about you and to play great tennis. I pray that you would, you would be able to bless him, that he'd play the best tennis he has played. I pray that it'll get better and better. I pray that, that uh, he will get good enough to have national recognition that he will do great in high school, and then he'll do great in college, uh, unless he turns pro before that. Uh, we, we pray that your will will be done. I pray that you would guard his heart so that it doesn't go to his head. I don't think it will. I pray that you would guard his heart so that he continues to want to be an influence for Jesus Christ rather than see what I can do. I thank you for the family he comes from, and they're rooting for him, they're praying for him like they're praying for all their children, their nine children. We, uh, we thank you for uh, their children. And so we uh, pray that as Emmanuel, I pray that you'd spare him from discouragement, because it could be easy to get discouraged. The more he speaks out, the more he's going to be ridiculed by some of these uh, spoiled kids who uh, don't know better. 
And I pray that he'll be able to love them anyway, give them the ability to love even those that may choose to ridicule him or, or try to turn him off. We bless him with strength, inner strength, confidence in God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Glad you came up. You had your hand up a minute ago, John, uh, with regard to the revival thing. Did you have something you were going to say? That's right. Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. You guys come up here. I want to I wanna pray for them. They're newlyweds. Can you tell? They got wedded a couple weeks ago in their backyard. We married them. And then listen to this. I went back. I've never done this before. I went back a week later, and we did wedding 2.0. <laughs> That's what your mom called it. Because the dad couldn't be there. What happened to your dad? He got an ulcer and was taken away in an ambulance two hours before we walked down the aisle. So, so dad wasn't there, and it was a kind of a tough time for daughter, and uh, I talked to John. I said, could I see her? And he said, yeah, she'll, she'll be over here. So I went and I talked to her, and I said, how do you feel? Are you, can you handle this? Can you go through with it? Can we have a wedding? And she toughened up. She said, yeah, we're going to do it. So she was strong. Allie's a strong lady. John's a strong man. And they came together. Uh, we had lots of talks beforehand. And then Karen got together with Allie, and they spent time together. And I'm really proud of them. They're strong witnesses for Jesus Christ. And... Uh, they're they're going to be kicking at the devil. The devil's going to try to uh, uh, get them to get discouraged. Or so let's pray for them. How long how long you been married now? Three weeks yesterday. Okay. All right. Three point oh. All right. Father, thank you for John and Allie. She gave the name Higginbottom to be a stage, John, uh, John and Allie's stage. It's one syllable instead of four. Uh, makes it easier. I bless them. I pray that as they desire to be used for you to influence, especially people their age and younger, that they will have influence. I pray that you would give them influence wherever they are, at work, at play, uh, as, as a couple, that they would have influence for Jesus Christ. That's what they want. They want to make a difference. They're not here just to enjoy this life. They're here to make a difference, to impact people. And I pray that they will see it happening and rejoice in you because it is happening. And I say that you are going to be on stage just like your name. That's what the Lord would say. And whatever you're doing, as Paul was praying, you're going to be on stage, but do not fear. That's nothing to be afraid of. But people will see you and notice you, ask you questions, and say, "What? Why are you? What's the joy in you?" And the Lord's going to allow you, just like we, I had that word before of the light. You know that we are all mm -hmm. His lights. But of course, you know some people would say, "Oh." Oh, that's that's a, a glib thing, thing to say that you're on stage because that's your name 
But I heard it very strongly. Amen. Thank you. Good deal. Okay, I think we are done. How are the Hunsinkers? How are <laughs> Good. Yeah.